there's this 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 preconceived notion of what people should and shouldn't do or oh you're watching hockey you must be drinking beer and eating chicken wings right fuck my martinis and my shrimp tacos <laughs> All right. Hello. Welcome to episode 128 of KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. We are your hosts. He's Adrian Trott. I'm Ariel Cremendi. And uh, we are joined by Adrian's pimple. Yes. No, it was. Uh, it's an ex-pimple. That's um way to make me blush. Well, your nose is already blushing for us. <laughs> Funny guy. Welcome. Good do, to see you. Do, do you too. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Great. Another great Monday. Nice way to start off the week. It's been a busy day. Yeah. It's been uh well, you know, a busy, busy month. Like uh March was extremely busy. April's very busy, even though, you know, actually this past weekend I had so many questions from uh friends and just my you know, people I stay connected with on a, you know, reasonably regular basis. And I can't tell you how many people on a regular basis now are asking me, how's real estate? And, yeah. or the more common question is, or the more common statement is, how crazy is the real estate market right now? Are you guys really busy? And, you know, my answer is uh, obviously, yes, we're extremely busy, but I really feel, you know, privileged and very appreciative of the fact that since well, we had a couple of months there of not working back in uh, March and April of last year, but since May, June of last year, right through to today, we've been so busy. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the world and certainly in um, in the province that they don't have work, they've been laid off, they can't work, they're non-essential. Um, so I feel, you know, I feel good. I feel good that we're staying on track, even though it's different and we're isolated, you know, we're by ourselves, we're working virtually, we're working in basements and not getting to spend time with our team. We've got new team members, one of which I haven't even ever met in person. You know, uh, we brought her on board like three months ago. I've never even met her in person. Robin. It's a way of the world. It's a way I, of I, the world. All these yeah. things that you once would have thought would, without a question, require meeting somebody or a task would require somebody having to be in a particular place are now being done remotely. It's an interesting time. Well, and if you remember a number of podcasts ago, I don't know how long ago, probably months and months ago now, as shitty as this situation is, and obviously nobody wants to be in a pandemic, nobody wants anybody to get sick or die or anything. Um, I said at that time that this is going to be good for the world in the sense that it's going to progress people uh, that wouldn't have otherwise maybe ever progressed into the current, you know, uh, tech world. Um, and it's also going to pro progress a lot of industries such as the real estate sales industry, <clears throat> where now it's very common to review offers virtually, um, to, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I listed and sold a home that I never met the people the sellers i've never met them in person and yeah. i was never in the home yeah like we did everything remotely and very securely and very um safe and um so it's taught me a lot it's taught uh i think it's taught the average consumer a lot too right like if well, you think about employers like, too I, I, i'm just in the process of buying shoes i've never i never purchased shoes online yeah, it's funny you say that because i remember the first time i bought my first pair of shoes online which i've only done once it was uh when i bought the gary v clouds and dirt shoes yeah i was very nervous i even called a friend who's a big shoe collector because i needed advice on how to buy shoes online and uh you know, overthink it until you do it once or twice. Well, if I think back 
you know, 10 years ago, I was doing a whole lot of cooking at home, like a whole lot of cooking. Um, and that's really when I started buying organic stuff. Cause that's really when for me it became more readily available. And of, of course now it's very easy to find organic stuff at that time, not so much. So, but I was shopping at whole foods and, and, um, obviously they were kind of the pioneers in the GTA, um, from the bigger stores. Anyways, today I placed, uh, my order with mama earth, which will get delivered on Thursday. And, you know, just the convenience of a being able to source all this stuff on a, on a website and then having it show up at your door. And, you know, years ago, people wouldn't trust. Even today, I talked to like Jennifer. Jennifer, you know, has been vegan now for a number of months and, um, or vegetarian, I should say. Yeah, big difference. And, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, we were vegan in my house for a while when the boys had their um, dairy oh, allergies allergy. and stuff. Yeah. That first year of their of their lives, uh, couldn't have any dairy. So we had no dairy in the house whatsoever for a year, year and a half. But nobody would have ever expected to have a comfort level with having things like apples and bananas and meats delivered and breads delivered to your home be like, oh, I got to pick it myself, or I like going to the grocery store and picking my own fruit or my own vegetables. Um, I don't know. I think they do a better job than I do because they want to make sure they're delivering you the best type of produce or the best type of meat so they get good reviews, referrals, repeat business, all that stuff. Well, right? so. so you're talking, yeah, I mean, specifically for some companies like Instacart where they get rated and 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 get more business if they get better yep. reviews or i don't know exactly how it works but it's along those lines i believe and then from a well i use instacart on a regular basis i use well, it over the weekend from the perspective of um, a grocery store with like well sobeys they have their own delivery service and longos they have their own delivery service uh they want to make sure that they're prov providing you with good produce too because there's been times where if we get a, a you know a What's a bundle of apples? No, a batch. What? Bushel? Bushel? <laughs> a bushel. Bushel of apples. And there's one bad one and you call them and just say, hey, I you know, had one bad apple come. They'll reimburse you immediately for the entire order of those apples. So, yeah. you know, it's in their best interest too. Like they provide excellent customer service just to eliminate the concern that people have with, oh, what's the quality of the produce or the meat going to be? What are they going to provide me with? They yep. are super, super accommodating if there's ever problems. Yep. Um, so it's in their best interest too, because they are so accommodating, they're going to go out of their way to make sure they bring you good food. Correct. We're doing the same no. thing with real estate. Yeah, not that, not that this ties into our conversation today uh, minutely, but, you know, a good topic of conversation. So today's topic is all about property management. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit about um, why property management. Like, um, so here's the thing. Before you go. Before we get started, just want to thank everyone for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, if you haven't already, to KT Confidential, the real estate podcast where we talk everything real estate. And we love your support. We appreciate your comments. And send us your questions. We, have, uh, we love discussing those. We want to know what you are thinking, what support you need in uh, the, the world of real estate, whether you're an investor, first-time home buyer, or a tenant looking for help with a bad landlord, whatever the reason, drop us a line, let us know uh, what questions you've got and follow the podcast. So over the next six months to a year, for sure over the next six months, you are going to hear me repeat myself and hammer home the concept of transfer of equity. If you own a home in the GTA and you've owned it for three, four, five years plus, 
you have now, based on the current market values, a significant amount of equity in your home. On average, most people have a significant amount of equity in their home. So I polled a lot of my friends that are homeowners over the last week or two. And none of them, you know, I, I'm 40 years old now, none of them have an investment property. And my question to them, sorry, one of them has purchased uh, last year or the year before um, a non-waterfront cottage that hasn't been rented yet, but he plans on renting it out a little bit this year. So it could eventually become some sort of an investment. But, and then, you know, of course, the debate can be made investment for renting or investment for flipping or investment for just holding on to it and selling it later. For the purpose of this conversation, we're going to be talking about purchasing an investment that you have as a tenanted property. And we're going to talk about a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages about that. But I polled them and none of them have an investment property for the purpose of having a tenant in there. And my big question was, why? Why? Why not? Like, on average, you know, their their home values are around a million bucks. And on average, they owe somewhere in the vicinity of 600,000-ish. You're talking 30 to 40% equity in your existing home, three, yeah. 400,000 bucks. You only need 20% down on a, on the purchase of a property of an investment property, average price for a, a reasonable uh, rental property right now. You can, you can find some great properties between 600 and 800 K even less. If you drive out a little bit even further, but I don't know. My question was why, and nobody oh, had a solid answer. Nobody well, had a solid answer. Just on that note regarding your price, I think that's very high. You could get something from four to five hundred. Just get a you can. condo, yeah, absolutely. Right? You like you no need to just get your foot in the market. Hundred percent. You're absolutely right. You can even find stuff for less than that, depending on where you go. Like you look at, well, well we've, we had we've we've talked about Huntsville for uh, many years. Um, there's an area where there's um, low supply and pretty good demand well prices and, are coming up there already quite a bit even in like well, they the are everywhere they are everywhere it's all relative yeah yeah um so the question was why and nobody had a real solid answer and you know what it boiled down to fear right for sure uh having the you know the guts to say yep going to take 200,000 bucks as a separate mortgage on my house or as a home line equity. And I'm going to go out, I'm going to buy another house and going to get a tenant in there. That tenant is going to pay down that mortgage by 50% every month. You know, so if they're making a $2,000 mortgage payment, mortgage is being paid down about 900 to a thousand bucks a month right now. Plus, the appreciation that you're gaining on it. If you look at the numbers over a five-year period, <laughs> you will never be able to save that amount of money. And the fear is that uh, from a lot of them, the, that the home values won't either sustain or they're not going to go up as much as they have in the next five years versus the last five years. So my question to them then was, well, why didn't you do it five years ago? Well, people were having <laughs> the same conversation then. They were having the same conversation, but they also didn't have that amount of equity. Right. So if the market didn't come up to where the level is now, you wouldn't have had that extra money to then use as leverage. So, I mean, it's a double, double-sided sword. But um, you know what the next reason was? They don't want to deal right with tenants for sure so number one they're they're afraid to jump in and then number two part of that fear was also them not a knowing how 
and B, not having the time or the desire to deal with that shit. Mm -hmm. That's it. And that those two areas are probably what we hear most frequently in terms of why somebody doesn't own an investment rental property. So we're going to talk a little bit about property management. I've been talking. You've been shaking your head. Nodding, nodding. nodding. Shaking would imply that I'm right. not in agreement you've, you've with nodding, you, you've been which nodding I am. Up and down, yes. You know, so first of all, I think um, it's actually interesting outside of real estate too, because I've been chatting with some people in terms of general investments lately. And it's int- really interesting, somewhat you know, frightening to hear how um, people, you're not specific to real estate, but they just don't have money invested, period. And you know they they have savings, um, but their home primary residence in many cases is their investment, um, which is scary because you know a primary residence it does appreciate you do you know you you do make money on it but it's a very expensive investment. There's no tax incentives. As there's a lot of costs involved with it. And to cash in on it, you have to move, basically. You know, that's what people's intentions are. That's, let's retire, sell our million-dollar home, and there's our retirement. You know, at that point in your life, do you actually want to uproot yourself just and then start renting? Um, and then, you know, have you calculated the cost of every penny you've put into the house from more interest on your mortgage to... Um, fuel for your lawnmower like there's a lot of expenses so i think um i think fuel it's interesting lawnmower. <laughs> well, those are expenses man you know you gotta add it all up everything and i gotta tell you my electric lawnmower is awesome by the way i would never buy yeah. a, a you gas battery you battery battery battery, battery yeah battery. yeah yeah me too i love mine it's i mean it's something uh it's, it doesn't make me feel as manly we'll say I don't know if that's the right term or I might get in trouble <laughs> yeah. for saying that. When you, but, when you start up your electric lawnmower or your battery powered uh, lawnmower, it's like, oh. no, I, I still wear my, my, uh, <laughs> my earplug things. My, uh, what, I don't know what the heck you call them. Earmuffs, whatever. Ear protection. Um, anyways, yeah. When, a lot when of you're pushing have, around your battery powered lawnmower. It's, it's a big, it's a strong battery. Right. <laughs> you know what next time i'll get out my on my i my watch you have the decibel reader and it monitors the levels of noise throughout the day it's really interesting i haven't tried it with that so next time i'm using it which will be maybe uh, in three to four weeks i'll give it a go well you're you're talking to somebody that's definitely going to be deaf in 10 years because in my teens when i competed in professional car audio competitions we were reaching levels of almost 140 decibels sometimes even more uh, without ear protection on. So, Well, it's interesting because I used it today when we were grinding beans for the coffee machine and it was grinding at 81 decibels, which I know it was just above the threshold for what the iWatch says is considered loud. This is, this is what your COVID life has become, measuring the decibels of the uh, coffee no, maker. <laughs> what, what it has become is a general awareness right. of health. Right. So yes, part of it is, is noise. Um, anyway, so my point is a lot of people don't not only have money invested in real estate, they don't have money invested period, which is scary. It's a Canadian problem though, because for years and generations now, all right, like 20, 30 years. Um, if I look at my parents and my grandparents as an example, they were brought up in a time, and even we were brought up, you know, we were born in early 80s. Um, we were brought up in a time where financial institutions were where you needed to place your money and you had to have trust in them because there were financial advisors that were supposed to be the ones to help you invest and make money on that money. So things like RRSPs, 
And uh, well, now TFSAs and RESBs and all of these different avenues, mutual funds, GICs, all these different avenues within the banking system that you can put that money into to supposedly help you make money. But really what it's done for the Canadian banking industry, and that's why the Canadian banks are so friggin' strong, is because Canadians as a general trust the banks, trust the banking system. That's the way we've been brought up. Put your money in RRSPs. There's all these government programs. You save on your income taxes for that year. You know, Put your money in a GIC. It's safe. These mutual funds are going to appreciate 8 to 10 or whatever percent over the next X amount of years. And Canadians have just been generally safe when it comes to investing and unwilling to take additional risks. Not only that, but our parents, that generation, many of them worked for companies that had pensions. That doesn't doesn't exist anymore. And and, um, a lot of them had RSP contribution matches. You know, yeah. a lot of companies have gone away from that now. Um, so that encouraged that further. And uh, and incomes were, were, you know, relatively tight. There, the, there are a lot more rich or wealthy people now as a percentage than there were. 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was much harder to be wealthy or, or quote unquote rich yeah. um, back then. Now it's a whole lot easier. Yeah. Um, there's more expendable money. Like if you think of how all we were talking about online shopping, people are spending a ton of money online now, right? And it's not for necessities. We're not talking about the fruits and the vegetables and, and the meats. We're talking about all of these fancy gadgets, you know, all this extravagant furniture or, you know, all of this high end or branded clothing and, and not to say clothing isn't essential, but. I think I spend less with online shopping because. What about your wife? Very much the same. She's always been very frugal. So she has, that hasn't changed, but. I would say with retail shopping, when I go would go into a mall, like let's say I, I want to buy, uh, I need new jeans. So my mission is to go to the mall, go to a, one or two stores that I like and try on some jeans. I'll go do that. But in the process, I stop in at five other stores for completely unrelated uh, products. And I'm like, oh, Maybe I should buy it. Oh, maybe I should buy that. Oh, maybe I should buy that. And online shopping is not at the point yet where you, you're, as I'm not anyways, I'm not as easily enticed by the way these shopping platforms are designed. So they have ads and, you know, you may like these similar products, but they're not as enticing as when you see something in person at a store as you're walking down the aisle. It's true. Um, at the same time, though, you're yeah. not you're not walking through a shopping mall, or at least I hope you wouldn't be at uh, 10 o'clock at night after a bottle of wine and then just randomly, just randomly order yourself a, uh, you know, whatever, a $500 bottle of something or, you know, something extravagant. Yeah. Yeah. You know um, so those splurges where you're sitting at home, like I know when I'm depressed, like if I'm, if I'm feeling down, um, and, and I don't, you know, I just want to kind of be in my own space and be by myself. And, you know, those, those times have happened a lot more frequently over the last 14 months. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll say to Natalie, I'm just going downstairs. I'm going to whatever, watch a movie or whatever. And I don't end up watching a movie. I end up sitting there snacking on something and looking for something to buy. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people like that. And they go on to friggin' Amazon and you go on to get paper towel or toilet paper and you end up buying all kinds of different things. It's interesting. So I mean, knowing that Amazon delivers so promptly, I can and being that I conveniently live next door to you, if I see a particular series of days in a row where there's an excessive number of packages left at your door, I'll I'll be reminded to check in on your current 
mental state make sure you're in a good place oh well natalie has a big portion of that uh those <laughs> deliveries so you might want to give her a call but um anyway so you know the the point here being that there's a lot of savings happening in the wrong areas there's a lot of spending happening in the wrong areas and i am going to be preaching the message to people please invest that equity into another property and hire a property manager and forget about it well two quick examples i have one i have a gentleman i was chatting with today who we managed a property for him i helped him purchase it uh, about a year and a half ago um you know, at a time when people probably were surprised, like, oh my goodness, you paid that much for that place. And uh, now we'll be listing it uh, for sale in um, two months. And it will have appreciated approximately $120,000. His tenant will have paid down, you know, maybe 10 grand of the mortgage. Uh, so you back out his costs over the time. He's going to probably walk away with somewhere in the range of sixty to seventy thousand dollars, if not more, um, in that short period of time. What was his initial investment? So, I mean, I don't know how much he put down, but as an example, your minimum would be twenty percent. Yeah. So he bought it for four. <laughs> excuse me, rounded off to say 500. So he put a hundred thousand dollars down plus some, well, about a hundred thousand with closing costs based on the selling price. Land and he's going to make tax and land yeah. transfer tax and all that. Yeah. Uh, and he'll probably walk around, walk away making 70 in just a little more, you know, about a year and a half. Like those are unprecedented returns. Return on your money yeah. in a year and a half. And whoever purchases it, is going to see appreciation over the next number of years as well. Why is, what's the reason for uh, selling it now? I just wanted to reinvest it into some, something else. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then he's, he's very intellectual. Like he's a very smart guy. He's a business uh, minded uh, investment minded type of person. Um, so, you know, and he made a great decision to buy it. Um, but, it, you know, even in a worst case scenario, if it's only appreciating at an average of, you know, 10% a year, which I think is fair, uh, over, there's, for the average person, just sit on it, retire with it, and then that becomes the property you sell. So you don't have to move out of your house. Mm -hmm. And for, for him, as an example, over the course of the last year and a half, he has done nothing. He has not taken one phone call. He has not interviewed an, a tenant. He has not... Uh, managed or facilitated any repairs, like literally just no different than him buying a stock. I would say it is different than him buying a stock because well, I don't know if you own, oh, well, I know you own stocks and specifically a couple of them that have given you a heart attack over the last few years, but um, I own stocks and I watch them every single day. I, mm -hmm. I, I swipe right to my stock ticker on my phone and uh, I look at what's happening. Is there any news? What's the stock doing today? And, um, you know, I cashed out on my Uber stock uh, a couple of weeks ago at about $60 a share because I've been watching it enough to know, okay, that's kind of the threshold doesn't want to doesn't want to get to 70 or 80 bucks right now and i think they're going to have a tough time i think they're going to be a, a company to watch for sure as an investment standpoint because as things start opening up i think um if they play their cards right and if they're managed properly uh uber will be able to take advantage of this new virtual world but um i bought the shares at 40 about 40 bucks sold it at 58 and change um in about a year and a half so you know uh, i'm watching it on a regular basis because if i didn't i wouldn't have cashed out and made that money but so a little bit more hands-on i think with stocks but um in the same sense i guess you're probably if you're 
invested in a half a million dollar property. You're hopping onto realtor.ca once in a oh, while. For sure you are. I mean, people are doing that anyways. That's true. A lot of right. real estate junkies out there. Yeah. That's why that's why uh, realtor.ca uh, and the app are some of the most visited in the country. Yeah. Yeah, but I think um, so I, I, so from a property management standpoint, so for those of you that don't know, we do own KT Property Management. Um, if you want to check us out, go to ktpm.ca or ktpropertymanagement.ca um, to get some insight from our website. Insight from our website. Um, so, but let's, uh, you know, I'm, I, this wasn't about plugging us or plugging our property management company, but let's talk a little bit about what actually happens with and every property management company is going to be different and provide a different level of service and maybe charge something different and have different ways of handling things. Uh, so we're only going to talk about what we do. Again, it's not to plug us. It's just what we know and what we feel is actually the best way to uh, run a property management company. Do you want to chat a little bit about that? Like, So from an investment standpoint, uh, obviously, we're realtors. We can help somebody purchase it, but let's just say um, nothing KT, right? Like, so somebody is up in whatever, North Bay, and obviously we don't service that area. So, or, or, or wherever, if you're listening in Winnipeg or, you know, um, you go out, you meet a realtor, you find a property, you bought it. Now what? Well, I would say, you know, by far, um, well, the reason that, uh, I think one of the reasons we got into the industry was, uh, the property management industry that is, is because we've very much the same as the reason we got into real estate. We felt it was underserviced. Um, you know, it starts with, from our experience on the real estate end of things, interviewing, qualifying, finding the right tenants to, to occupy the properties. Um, you know, people are scared. Uh, for one or one reason people are scared is because they're concerned that they will end up with problematic tenants who don't pay, who ruin their property, uh, who cause, a, a, you know, anguish and sleepless nights. And they do exist. I would, I've been watching TikToks recently. I saw one where there was one landlord that kept visiting this property, trying to get his trailer trash uh, tenants out who refused to pay. And they're just, on camera yelling and screaming and cursing at the guy. Um, you know, and I, you know, we don't know the whole backstory of whether or not he was a good landlord or, you know, there may be other underlying issues there that caused them to be difficult tenants too. But that term, by the way, trailer trash, I have a lot of friends that actually live in trailers. Well, they would probably not be considered trailer trash by my standards then. Okay. You're <laughs> by your definition. Yes. Correct. Um, so I your think no, you know, your nose is blushing. Yes, I know. I I can't hide it. The uh, so I think it's you know I think one of the most important things is definitely the initial qualification of people, and that stems from just knowing how to read people and meet people and doing that face to face interview, whether it's over Skype or Zoom or whatever, or in person, but also knowing what to look for uh, when reviewing documents and. Uh, interviewing or not interviewing, sorry, but also speaking with uh, references and uh, whether it be a personal reference or a previous landlord or an All employer. Right, so let's just say you found the perfect tenant. Yeah. Now what? Why, why, why would I, first of all, does it make sense to hire a property management company? Mm -hmm. And number two, what are they actually doing? Mm -hmm. So one big thing I think, I found a lot of landlords don't, well, don't do, they neglect to do. Uh, and it's, there's a beer, a can of beer I always see called absent, absent landlord or something like that. I can't remember what brand it's called. Uh, but that's very much what I would say uh, is the approach of most landlords is they don't do anything. And there, with that comes a lack of respect but from the tenant in many cases and liability, right? Like 
you know, landlords are responsible for making sure that the home is in a certain operating condition. They're, they're, they have to make sure that um, smoke detectors um, and CO detectors are tested annually. And if they don't and there is a problem, then there's a liability issue. Um, That's the so, one thing about being a landlord. When there is a problem, it's a problem. For sure. And you're only going to hear from your tenant when it's a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, things for me, I had a, before I got into real estate, you know, I, I've always been interested in owning rental properties and I never wanted to deal with making sure the money was coming in. Like I think like, cause our our property management company actually operates our rental property that you and I own. Um, so, you know, it's, it's doing its job for us even, right? Um, but the nice thing with that app that we've got is you can see the money coming in, the money going out, all of the income, all of the expenses. So at the end of the year, I just printed the statement and gave it to the accountant. It was so easy. Um, Not only and well, electronically, that, the money is just getting deposited into the account. I don't got to worry about right. post-dated checks or the tenant doesn't have to worry if the payment was made on time or did the landlord actually cash my check? Right. Have, you know, because I've heard so many times where let's say the rent was due on the first of the month and the uh, landlord doesn't cash the check until like the ninth or 10th of the month. Cause they forgot yeah. or they just were lazy. But yeah. by that point, there wasn't enough money in the account. There was on the 31st or the first, but it, when you live paycheck to paycheck, if you don't take that money out when it's supposed to go out and I haven't been paid my next check yet, there won't be enough money there. Yeah. And, and then the, the money bounces, the check bounces. And then the landlord goes back to the, now has to go back to the tenant and say, Hey, where's my money? The, the check bounced. Yeah. Oh, you just took it out. Now there wasn't enough money in there. So when can you pay me? Well, you got to wait till my next check. Now next check rolls around and then they forget to pay. Now you're chasing them. It's, it's you know, so something as simple as just collecting the money um, can be difficult. And then, of course, who wants to get the phone call from your tenant at, you know, Saturday night, seven o'clock, you're eating dinner, the hockey game is on TV, you've had a couple of, you know, martinis, and your tenant calls. Do you and usually says, watch hockey with martinis? Well, what's wrong with that? Well, I'm just curious. I mean, I'm not a sports guy, but when I picture guys or people hanging out watching hockey, they're not holding martinis. Well, I think that's what's wrong with the world. <laughs> I'm not opposed that to it. I, I love a good vodka martini. This, this this preconceived notion of what people should and shouldn't do or, oh, you're watching hockey. You must be drinking beer and eating chicken wings, right? Fuck my martinis and my shrimp tacos. <laughs> sorry to offend you it's not offending me I'm i just sorry think, i just think that <laughs> i just think there you know it's, it's it's like um especially guys i don't know why guys do this right but it's like there's so many things that are tied together that you must feel like Oh, you know, you're you're, you're going to go play golf. Oh, yeah, let's grab a couple of pints afterwards, right? And bring some cigars. Yeah, right. You, did you bring some stogies on the golf course, yeah. right? Or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't know if women do that, too, those kind of things. But, yeah, sometimes I, uh, I mix it up when I watch. Like, as you know, I'm an avid Maple Leaf fan. I usually don't disclose that too often because, you know, in the... I think out of our followers, there's probably a lot of people that aren't Maple Leaf fans and hate Maple Leaf fans, but uh, I'm a diehard Maple Leaf fan, so I watch a lot of hockey when I can. Saturday night is a definite, for me, Saturday night is is my gold because I take Saturdays off, as you know, spend the day with the family. Uh, Saturday is my um, kind of family meal 
day. So I plan in advance. I'm going to make a really nice meal for the family on Saturday. Boys go to bed and I make myself a beverage and I plop my ass down and be lazy as hell and watch two and a half hours of hockey. That's what I do. So sometimes it'll be a Caesar. I enjoy a good Caesar. With, I had uh, one of those on the weekend. It's that time of, time of year again almost. Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel like the weather's warming up. Um, on this past weekend, I actually got into some Jack and Coke. Um, so that's what I was drinking. So I mix it up, okay? But the point is, you don't want to get a phone call in the midst of enjoying that game and your martini. Right. Because as a landlord, you there are certain responsibilities now, and now, legal responsibilities that require you to act immediately to remedy so certain types say, of issues. This has, this has happened to some of our properties in the past year. You get a leak at an inconvenient time. Yeah. And you know who, who never there, knows how to turn the water off? Yeah. It's the, the tenant. Because you as a landlord forgot to show that to them. That's right. And you as a landlord forgot to take a shit ton of pictures to be able to even virtually send them a picture and say, oh, here it is. Here's what you do. You can't even walk them through it. So what do you got to do? You got to call Uber because you're too drunk to drive your ass over to the property. At least I hope you are. Although I don't own any more of that stock. So choose uh, Lyft or somebody. I don't know. Anyways, uh, so you, you, you get a ride over to the property. And... You're going to shut off the water for them. You're going to identify what the problem is. And now you're getting on the phone to some kind of 24-hour. You're going to now try to find somebody to get in there as soon as possible because you can't leave the tenant with the water off. So I guarantee you, you're missing that hockey game. You're not home yeah. until 9, 10 o'clock at night. And if you are, if if you're home earlier, it means you probably haven't found a, a repair person to get in there. So now your tenant is without water until, who knows, the next day, maybe the day after that. You only do business with them. You've never done business with them. And when you do, it's only once every once in a while. Property management companies got their network of people that they deal with on a regular basis and that wants that continued business. So... You know, if I, as an example, we've got a plumber that's pretty on call for us. If I call him up and I say, hey, we got an issue here. Can you get over there right away? He'll probably drop something and, oh, yes, he'll charge us more. Um, but you got to get that stuff fixed. You got to get it fixed. Um, and again, tenants will only call you when it's going to be inconvenient and it's going to be a problem. Yeah. So, so my and 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 then always the debate like first of all we do everything. I don't know how many property management companies do everything because I don't think they do and actually I know they don't and they're not as available and not as um convenient um not as thorough but A to Z we take care of it all. We, we you know the money's coming in the expenses are coming in. Um, you you get to see everything. You never have to call us. It you never get a call from your tenant. It's straightforward. It's simple. And then the question always is, well, why should I pay? It's expensive. It's a lot of money. It's not. It's actually cheap as hell if you do the math. And you know you're talking. On an average property, it's less than a couple hundred bucks a month, and it's a tax deduction because it's an expense on that property. So you're well, just you so know. everyone knows, like every penny that goes towards paying out the principal, that's considered income. So even though you're not actually getting it, that's income for the year that you have to pay taxes on. So it's important to find creative ways, or not creative, but find ways to also reduce that. To avoid, as, not avoid, but reduce the amount of taxes you have well, to pay. Now, here's an interesting thing, because you just brought it up. And this is uh, uh, the conversation I had with my friends a couple of weeks ago. What you don't realize is 
now I'm talking for people that have additional income that's not being invested properly or is being spent poorly. Um, so let's say your um, household income is $120,000, which is about average in, um, in the area that we live in. It's about one hundred and twenty. Now, let's say your annual expenses as a household is $100,000, okay? And I'm just talking gross numbers to keep it even. Why, why are you looking at me like that? It just seems high, but okay. Does it? Yeah. Okay, what do you want to... Maybe we'll talk about it off air, uh, but... A family of four, I guarantee you, you don't even know, you don't have a proper budget if you think that's high. You don't know what you are currently spending if you think that's high. You okay. have two vehicles, your primary residence, insurances, gas, home maintenance, home repairs, home improvements, clothing. Okay, we don't, yeah, go on, go on. Food. Go on. Dentist. Go on, go on. All of these things, I want you to take your expenses I, I from, from 2020 and break it down and then come back to me and say that that's high. Okay. For a family of four right now with a home and, and two children and, and two, uh, two vehicles. Okay. Anyways, let's just say 120,000. Let's just say whatever fucking number you want, the average, let's say there's $20,000 left over. Right. There's 20 grand left over. Yes. What are you doing with that 20 grand? Putting into my savings account. And then what happens? Going to retire. Make 1% a year. Yeah. And you know on that $120,000, you paid your personal income tax of whatever that percentage is, 42% or whatever, for your uh, provincial and federal taxes. Mm -hmm. If you have a property that is negative, you know, because everybody always wants a cash flow positive property. Oh, you know, if, if it's costing me 2500 bucks a month, I want at least $2,600 a month. It's got to be worth my initial investment. I got to be making something. Yeah. Well, if it costs you $2,500 a month, but your your income after expenses on it is $2000 a month you have a $500 a month loss right mhm mm well that $500 a month loss also reduces your overall gross income by 6000 bucks for that year so you're not paying your personal income taxes on $6000 so really that 6 grand only cost you about half of it yeah. It only cost you about 3000 bucks. So now that $3,000 investment, because I consider that as an investment when you're, when you're at a loss because you're putting money into the property every month. But that $3,000 investment all of a sudden has appreciated because the property has gone up, let's say 10%. So if the property's gone up from 500000 bucks to 550000 I think that's a pretty good investment of three grand in that year to return a $50,000 investment. So, so those are the fears that people have. They, they, they don't want to be short every month. They don't want an additional expense every month. That is your friggin' RRSP. So instead of putting $500 a month into an RRSP, put it into a property. I think it's good to, to and, and, and for the record, we're not licensed to give financial advice. <laughs> so, um, I think well, it's yes, good. I, yes, we are in real estate. In real estate, yes. Real estate is a financial <clears throat> play when I think you're an investor. I think and you um, got to look at what money you're putting into it initially, what money you're putting into it ongoing, and then the work, the effort, the time that's required to manage that. And then what's your disposition on it and when? It's I think a, a lot of people point. don't think of the long game and that's the problem, right? Like, well, I tell you, we, uh, you know, we bought a condo in 2006, 2005, 2006, or 
2005, 2015, 2016. I can't remember when we bought it. 20, 2015. We were out cottage shopping, couldn't find a cottage, got fed up, needed to buy something, wanted to invest, bought, bought a condo in Milton. Nice condo. And bought it for 260K back then. That's only five years ago, six years ago. We sold it because we ended up buying a cottage and we wanted to reinvest that money into the cottage. But I tell you, since then, I'm looking at it going, oh man, should have found a way to hang on to it. We couldn't financially, it didn't make sense for us, but, and, and certainly the, thankfully the waterfront cottage has appreciated even more than, um, than the condo did, but you look at it and now, so that was a 900 square foot, uh, one plus one ground floor condo in Milton, 260 K that right now is going to sell for probably uh, more than double. More than double, probably in the vicinity of 575. That's exactly what I was going to say. 575. Mm -hmm. Six years ago, bought it for 260. Yeah. 300 grand. You know, um, and then, so when I tell that story, oh yeah, but what, are you going to sell it for a million dollars in five, six years? I don't know, maybe. I don't know, but I know it's, I know it's going to, you know, if you hang on to it long enough, you will look back and say, wow, that was a great investment. I bought my home in Oakville, my first home. Well, you did, you did too. First home in Oakville, 199 grand. And you know what everybody in my family said to me? Thought you were you crazy. Paid, you paid what? And you don't even have a backyard? Yeah. And it's where? That's in the middle of nowhere. That's not worth that money. I said, okay, well, that's, you know, teach their own. But, and now, okay, so that was in 2004. So we're talking 16 years ago, I bought it. But 16 years flies by. And for an investment, you know, so 200K, let's say you put 20% down at that time. So you invest 40K in it. It's now worth somewhere in the vicinity of 800,000 four times the amount of the original purchase price in 16 years. 800,000. Well, and for people, for those, and, those and who, for now that, that mortgage would have been paid off. If I yeah. bought it then as an investment property, had a tenant in there, mortgage is paid off by now. Yeah. So now you're making so you, you, 20 you to 30 K a year. You invested 40,000, but let's say 50,000 with land transfer and lawyer fees and all that. You invested 50 grand. Let's say every month it was costing you 500 bucks between maintenance, repairs, uh, shortage from the mortgage to your rent, blah, blah, blah. Six grand. So let's say you had to put in out of your pocket 150,000 total over that 16 year period. It, your 150 grand is now worth 800,000. Pretty good investment. And to help for some people who just can't get, well, one, affordability, but also two, just having, being able to get over the mindset of, oh, these houses won't be worth that much more. You've seen it happen in your market. So look further out. Look at areas where the houses are prices where you once thought were more reasonable. Well, that's why I brought up my Oakville thing, because when I bought right. that property in Oakville at Dundas and Brawny 16 years ago, Dundas and Brawny was like no man's land in Oakville, right? Yeah. And now, well, and you, now you look at the amount of traffic there and the homes that are being built. There's lots of places like that. Well, and like, they look, haven't even... Look, look at Grimsby, look at Brantford, look at Guelph, look at Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, these places are Woodstock. Uh, well, here's, here's what's going to happen because with the pandemic, once things get back to a, a more normal state, I think what's going to happen is employers will uh, continue to stay on this whole uh, work from home mentality because they are saving so much money um, yeah. from, and, and their, their employers, employees are as if not more productive and happier that they will come up with more flexible working arrangements where, you know, coming into the office is 
optional or it's like once or twice a week. And once people realize that this is here to stay, the uh, markets that we're talking about further out away from the city will boom and they will become, it, it will be more consistent pricing right across the board. I don't know if you ever read Toronto Life. It's one of my favorite magazines and there was an article, uh, I can't remember which um, edition last month or this month, talking about there were several um, write-ups about people that sold in the city to move out to the country. Yeah. And people, there's a lot of people that want to realize that dream eventually of having huge property, a big backyard, uh, you know, no neighbors uh, peering in. So if you want to sit out on your back patio in your undies that nobody's watching you, the kids can run out and play in the street. And, you know, only the occasional pickup truck is driving by at 20 kilometers an hour, that kind of environment. I know that's one that you have been talking about for a long time, too. But uh, there's a lot of people that want that, right? Sure, there's people that want to be in downtown and in the hustle and bustle and in nightlife and and all that. But certainly, if you have children, um, you know you prefer probably the larger homes, so the larger lo- uh, lawns and larger property. And there's a ton of that. And then some people want to be by the water. You know, um, yeah, can't can't afford that on Lake Ontario, but you certainly can. You know, a couple hour drive and. It's just like when I go up to the cottage, I, yeah. I literally, there is no difference in my pro- productivity when I'm here in town or up North, I can do the exact same job and I do it probably more effectively up there because I'm more relaxed. I'm more in tune with, you know, myself and my, my environment. And, and, um, I think people just will recognize that, um, that that's going to happen. So same thing goes with a, te- a prospective tenant. Tenants now are pushing out too, because if they don't have to, you know, live close to their office, right? Like uh, I have a client who specifically moved out of their Milton home into downtown Toronto because they had to go, they're lawyers and had to go into uh, the office on a daily basis. So they rented a condo in Toronto and yeah. they're moving back to Milton now because they don't have to. And they, their employer came back and said, uh, uh, we're, we're not opening in 2021 and probably not in 2022. And it's TBA. Well, you know, what's going to happen to the TBA. It's going to be, Oh, we sold the building. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, now tenants, cause before, if you bought a home in, let's say Woodstock, I think Woodstock's good because it's a bit of a stretch from the GTA, uh, but still close enough that it's one of those areas that you should have your eyes on as an investor. I've said that for a couple of years now. Let's say Woodstock. A few years ago, finding a tenant in Woodstock was tricky. Finding a good tenant was especially tricky. And uh, and getting the amount of rent required so you're not taking a loss or a big loss every month was difficult to do. Now, that that table is slowly turning. And actually, not so slowly. It's turning. Um, yeah. Because now, you know, if you can buy a... If, or if you can rent a, a 2,000 square foot detached home for the same price as a condo, you're going to drive out that extra half an hour because you're not commuting at the moment. Right? Yeah. So the property management thing is a, is a good thing for prospective landlords uh, or prospective investors to look into because it's so easy. All you need is money. All you need is a bit of money. And you've got the money sitting around in your current residence. Leverage it. 20 years from now, 10 years All you're from doing now, is you'll just... look back and, and you'll be like, wow, I should have done it sooner. Well, all they're really doing is just moving some money around. That's all. Yep. The rest of it's taken care of. I hear my grandfather in the back of my head going, yeah, but you could lose it all too. Well, <laughs> yeah, the fucking stocks I invest in, the RSPs that I invest in, uh, 
I could be in a car accident next week and die. You know, like, how are you going to approach your life, right? You right. got to take a little bit of risk with it. Anyway, this is episode 128 of KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. Today, we were talking about property management. Um, we talked about investing in properties. Leveraging your equity. Leveraging your equity. Um, if you've liked what we have talked about, subscribe, like, and follow. And if you've got any comments, questions, concerns, you want to know a little bit more about investing or property management, shoot us a message. We're happy to answer them anytime. And um, I think we talked enough today. So um, I think that's a wrap. Works for me. All right. Good chat. Well, you, you have a good day and a good week. And um, well, I'll see you before next Monday, at least virtually. But for the rest of you, um, We'll see you next Monday.